You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Venerable. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Welcome in everyone to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. This is going to be, uh, I believe, episode 135. We've had a pretty awesome offseason thus far. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, the venerable John Venerable on Twitter, at Johnny Venerable. And John, today we're going to continue our focus on the NFL draft. Uh, we had a, a uh, talked a little bit last time, at least, about the Sam Darnold trade that went on. Uh, really what we wanted to focus on this time, I think, was talk a little bit about expectation for the Cardinals, specifically for Cliff and Kime, and talk about a little bit of speculation involving uh, Cardinals with some trade rumors based on local and national media sources alike. Uh, but before we begin, how are you doing just before the draft? Doing well. You know, it's it's difficult this year, the draft... Uh, while it is in person, unlike last year, and you and I were both supposed to be in Las Vegas for that one, uh, it was a week earlier. So it was actually roughly two weeks from today or yesterday. We're recording this on a Friday. Um, but now it's at the end of the month, and when it ever falls to the latter half of April, the far latter half, it's always difficult to get to the eventual Thursday night. But with all that being said, I think the intrigue this year has been ramped up considerably because we could have, well, we know we're going to have three quarterbacks go in the first three picks. Could we have four? Could there be another pre-draft trade? And Blake, you just alluded to it, the, the hot topic of discussion. And who knows, we're three weeks out. Things can change considerably. But the Cardinals, by all accounts, based on information from local media and national media, like this is coming from John Gambadaro and Peter Schrager of NFL Network, they have legitimate interest in, in Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. Now, to what extent, we don't know. It's been reported by multiple outlets that Kyle Pitts is the number one player on Steve Kimes' draft board. That that doesn't shock me. It doesn't surprise me. Um, I think you can take positional value out of the equation because he is such a difference maker in the passing game. He's a hybrid tight end receiver, in my opinion, and is you know absolutely worth a, a top five to seven pick assuming that the said team is going to use him like you know Kansas City uses Travis Kelsey or to a lesser extent just split him out wide and make him a wide receiver at the next level at 6'6 246 pounds and Peter Schrager's most recent mock draft he goes off of what he's hearing which is my favorite kind of mock draft I loved you know the plug and play ones of like here's positional need for said team but he's like this is what I'm hearing and this is what I'm going to put down, which is my favorite. Give me the insider mocks over everybody else. And he has Arizona trading up to pick seven with the Detroit Lions, who then trade back for Kyle Pitts. Um, that would be a shock. Um, number one, I, I don't think Kyle Pitts is going to be available at pick seven, although you know, we've seen crazier things happen. I just I feel like he's going to go four, five, or six. Um, Arizona has never traded a first-round pick. Um, to my knowledge, for um, a future or a future first for a draft pick, uh, in this subsequent trade by Schrager, the Cardinals would be giving up their 2022 first round pick, 
to come up and get Kyle Pitts. Now, they'd still have their second this year. Um, I like the trade. I, I would absolutely entertain that notion that if you could get Kyle Pitts for just your your future first next year, that's something I would be willing to do. Um, but if you're talking about you know additional twos both years, I just think this team still has a lot of needs. Um, but it, it's, it would definitely represent an all-in move. The, the last thing before I throw it back to you, Blake, on, on Pitts is just this team right now, in my opinion, is still behind the eight ball offensively in terms of skilled players and weapons for Kyler Murray. Um, I think we're all trying to be optimistic about A.J. Green, but, I mean, it's a one-year kind of throwaway contract at max $6 million that he could earn. He's not in their plans long-term. Christian Kirk, uh, it's it's the last year of his deal. It's, it's a make-or-break season for him. We've certainly written off – Andy Isabella, or at least I have. And then so what? You're left with Hopkins and Kyler. And yes, the, the offensive line is greatly improved, and I like Chase Edmonds, but they need I think we were talking about it going into free agency or the offseason in general, Blake, is like the number one thing this team needed was like different ma- difference makers offensively, both in the passing game and just guys that can get yards after catch, guys that can be explosive. Kyler, you know, to his credit, he's so accurate and has to be such a, a pinpoint passer because just players like Kirk, et cetera, leave so much to be desired from a Yak perspective. And that's all Kyle Pitts is, is he's just a, a bull in a china shop kind of player, touchdown machine, somebody who could come in and was ready to play in the NFL clearly last year. So, like, I understand the move, and I like the aggressive mindset potentially of the Cardinals to go up and get him. But I just think in general, like, they've they've exited free agency, in my opinion, and have upgraded all of their needs. Even corner, Malcolm Butler was better than anybody they had last year. Now they still need one more, but it, it's doable. Um, especially with the options still remaining. I, I would argue that even with the green addition, fits still kind of the, that decision hanging out to dry. I, I just, they are not explosive enough offensively in the passing game. And somebody like Pitts would surely change that. Back, I'm trying to look up the statistics right now as far as for the all-time receivers. But as far as it goes, the Cardinals, we know this stat has been true since it was true back in 2019 and nothing really changed. But Arizona is, I believe, the only team that has never had a 100-yard receiving game from a tight end in its history. That is something that has always been a problem. There's been, obviously, a couple of guys who at least have been maybe would be classified as tight ends. The closest that they've come in recent years was 75 yards to the likes of Dan Arnold, but this has been a position that has plagued them for a long time. I, uh, John, you and I can remember, I think it was back in, what was it, 2000, either 2010 or 2011, um, you had the homecoming for Todd Heap, the former Arizona State Sun Devil, and uh, he signs with the team on a one-year deal. They even have like a weekly segment with you know Todd Heap at least because everyone's excited they finally get like a big name receiving tight end to join on Arizona and he gets injured retired soon afterwards led to a few awkward radio appearances and it just showed kind of how the desperation in some cases for the tight end use has come because like you said the Cardinals have always been a team that has been able to find usually one wide receiver or so at a time you know you can go from at least the likes of obviously uh, without Fitzgerald Inquan Bolden the year before him you can look at uh, Roy Green uh, even like right now you can talk about DeAndre Hopkins being on the team they've always been able to have at least one type of receiving presence what they've never truly had is had a mismatch sort in the case of a tight end outside of perhaps a couple of years of 
I think Larry Sunders comes to mind, a guy who is at least uh, a fullback slash running back who is a dominant pass catcher and mismatch guy, and then David Johnson a few years ago. But as far as that type of you know freakish athlete that is too big for uh, I say too big for a safety to cover, too fast for a linebacker to cover, we saw a glimpse of some of that with Dan Arnold, but we weren't able to truly see it blossom outside of more than you know a couple splash plays and some touchdowns. Uh, Pitts is a guy who, like you said, I think Dane Brugler has him as the number two guy in his entire draft. I'm, I'm not sure where you heard as far as far as Kaim having him on the number one player on the board. Was was that a Schrager thing that he had? I think that was maybe a Gambadaro note. It was in my mentions uh, a couple different times, and I could be off with that, but it, it, that would not sh- surprise me in the slightest. I, I don't I don't think that they're going to have Trevor Lawrence on their draft board. No. Um, uh, and so you think about it will probably either be Pitts or Chase. Um, but I, I think the trump card for Pitts is that he played last year for a lot of teams. Hmm. And I, I, I get the sense, even though I would, I would take Chase over Pitts just because of, you know, positional value and the hit rate and that kind of thing as compared to the tight end. I mean, there's only three to four elite tight ends maybe in the NFL. I just think that it's difficult, even though I, I consider Pitts a hybrid Chase to me is just the safer prospect, and and his ceiling I believe is just as high. It's 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 Julio Jones esque in my opinion. It would not surprise me at all. I mean, listen, they let Dan Arnold go to Carolina for decent money. They have shown no interest in any free agent tight end of note. They brought back Daryl Daniels. I mean, like it would fit what we've seen from this team. They have no plan right now at tight end, and they don't have middle round picks to supplement that. And so I go back and I was watching. Highlights after highlights of this team from last year going week to week. And Dan Arnold, while he didn't have the, you know, 700-yard double-digit touchdown breakout season that a lot of people thought he might, he was a big part of this offense. Um, And he was a safety valve for Kyler Murray. And they worked with him for two years in his development. And the Cardinals let him go, and he got a nice payday. And now it's like, are they back to square one? And I've seen people in my mentions saying like, well, A.J. Green's going to fill that role as the big-bodied receiver. I don't know. I, I Arnold, to me, I, I always viewed him as a, an ascending player that should have a stamp on this offense moving forward. And the Cardinals don't lack cap space. They could have brought him back. They, ch- they just chose not to. So that, I mean, it would very much, it would hit a lot of the beats that they still need to to address. They want a long-term offensive skill player to go with Murray, even outside of Hopkins. It's a tight end, wide receiver hybrid, so you check almost two boxes in one. It's somebody that's, you could argue, the most pro-ready prospect in this draft outside of maybe like Trevor Lawrence, right? He dominated the best conference in America routinely. He's just a, he's 6'6", 240. So I, I get that, but then, you know, I listened to Peter Schrager this morning, Blake, and he said that teams may be trading up to four with Atlanta not to take a quarterback, but to take Kyle Pitts. The Cardinals just, I cannot see them surrendering the kind of draft capital it would take to get to four. Now, seven, eight, nine, you jump into the top 10, you want to give up your, you know, remember the, the Cardinals only went from 15 to 10 with Oakland when they went up for Rosen, they gave up, I think, a third and a fifth. And there is a QB tax. And what I mean by that is for people who are saying, well, look what the Niners just gave up. The Cardinals would have to give up something similar. No, that the QB tax is, is a real thing. There's there's 25 to 30% markup value for that. If you're coming up for Kyle Pitts as great as he is, you're not going to have to pay as much as or nearly as much as what the Niners did. But, goodness, to get to four from 15, unless Atlanta is just completely – 
and and utterly committed to trading down and that's a long way to go if you're the rebuilding falcons to me i just i don't see a i don't see a logical trade partner until like schrager mentioned you could get a detroit on the phone and and go up and maybe they want to take one of the middle tier you know receivers maybe they think somebody like waddle falls but pits to me a trade-up i'm all for it but this team is not one player away, so I would be hesitant and reluctant to give up more than just a future first, Blake. Yeah, the the way Pitts is not necessarily the greatest tight end prospect of all time from athleticism standpoint. That title would belong to the likes of Vernon Davis. Now, if you can get a Vernon Davis like impact and be looking at you know a 900 or so yard uh, yards per season, maybe like six to eight touchdowns uh being able to actually have someone you know who's tall enough that you know if kyler being a bit shorter in the pocket can throw up and over some of the you know offensive linemen uh, Pitts being able to be at that size climbing the ladder that seems like it would check a lot of boxes which is part of why i think that the cardinals have been mentioned is because they've been super aggressive this offseason now that being said <laughs> there's probably a, someone said i think you wanted to look at how many teams could use the likes of a Kyle Pitts and be like 32 out of 32. Uh, obviously, at least you've got quarterbacks that everyone believes and is pretty much guaranteed now to go one and two. Um, Eric Burkhart, who's uh, the agent for Kyler Murray, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, and others, he even suggested today that he thought that Kyle Shanahan was moving up to three for Kyle Pitts to pair him with George Kittle, try to make a two-tight end type of offense for Jimmy Garoppolo. And it's like, well, that might be fun. It does really feel like then that you're, you know, like two-tight end offense is only as good as the quarterback who throws the ball, and it's difficult to see that amount of capital given up. So I think, John, the question is not necessarily, like you said, how realistic it is as far as for the Cardinals to move up. The question is, okay, will they have the opportunity to move up what will be then the cost to move up? And then is there an opportunity cost of, you know, and this is kind of taking into account lots of things. You look at how in a couple of years ago, the Bills traded up to get to number four, traded a future first to get Sammy Watkins. They had him as the number one wide receiver in that draft. They could have probably stayed put and taken the likes of, you know, Mike Evans or Odell Beckham Jr. Now, that said, this is a different position. You're not talking about, you know, uh, another wide receiver to one, but it is looking at receiving options. And I think that's one of the questions then is, is it possible that Arizona, if they're looking to upgrade the receiving core, could they do it and still hold on to that pick? And I think that really depends on if you believe that one of, you know, we don't believe that Jamar Chase will be there, that one of Jalen Waddle or um, the likes of uh, another guy, Devonta Smith, because of the smaller size ends up falling down toward pick 16 the cardinals again would probably have to give up a third or a fourth to jump up in this draft if they're assumedly not jumping into the top 10 that makes things a little bit more difficult to try to manage you know moving up versus down so in that regard john outside of the fact that the cardinals would have you know a terrible season you look at the houston texans as a good example Really what it comes down to is, will you have the opportunity to take a Kyle Pitts? Because if the name is bandied about, and I went over this, I think, with some of the, with you at least a, a little bit ago, if the Falcons decided to go a quarterback at four, or let's say that the New England Patriots 
see Justin Fields, falls there to four, like, oh, that's our guy. We're going to go up and get him. We're going to give you guys a future first-round pick, move up and grab him at four. Say the Bengals look then at Jamar Chase or Panay Sewell at five to you know, either get a guy reunited. Then the Miami Dolphins, are you going to pair Kyle Pitts with Mike Gesicki, who you just drafted, I think it was, like just two years ago and has been probably one of the better receiving tight ends. So there's a chance that he falls then to pick seven. You look at Detroit, you know, maybe some have talked about if they'd go quarterback a lot. Wonder if they're going to try to trade back, get a receiving weapon later, get a linebacker. Some have put Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, or Jamar Chase is another spot that's been in there. Maybe that would be the spot, and that's probably why seven's been suggested. Now, going back to with Peter Schrager, as far as for his sources, you, John, and I can probably agree. Like, it's probably rock solid that this is not going to be some sort of smoke because it's not like the Cardinals are going to be, you know, like, hey, like, we're going to not surprise everyone or we want to see this guy fall because then we want to make a mad scramble. I think it's more that people are just saying, here's what we'd like to do. Well, they have the opportunity to do it. We know Schrager was a guy who was close as far as with the Cliff Kingsbury hiring, pushing that. A lot of the Kyler Murray talk centered there. And we talked about how last year he had pegged Derek Brown as a guy to the Cardinals for the longest time. And I think that the natural assumption, John, was, hey, Isaiah Simmons is probably going to go at seven to replace uh, retiring Luke Keekley. Instead, they took Derek Brown, who we believe the Cardinals would have taken. So it's easier when you're talking about the top 10 picks because these are top 10 talents. After that, you see guys who fall, and it gets a little murky because, you know, there are teams that are going to have different grades. Now, and that's where the question then is, all right, if Kyle Pitts, let's say he falls, what then is the floor? Like, you always get that anything can happen in the draft, like something you never know kind of a question. Like, we're having a conversation with some Raiders fans about, you know, they were wondering if J.C. Horn could fall to them at 17. It's like, okay, like, when you look at how the draft works, there's usually a range of picks where players will fall. A good example I can think of is 2019. Kyler Murray goes in the first uh, first overall. You end up seeing how Claylon Farrell goes at four to the Raiders. That was kind of a huge shock to a lot of people. Daniel Jones then went at number six to the Giants. A lot of people thought it was their second first-round pick they gave him. That meant that Josh Allen, who is normally a top-five type of pass rusher, fell to pick seven, and the Jaguars ran up to the podium and took him. Now, that wasn't a fall down to 16. Now, you do see a good player like Brian Burns fall out of where some had graded him in the top 10, some had said maybe in the 20s. He falls down to 16, is super productive. So I think then when you're talking about those types of players, John, there's a realistic example of what you have to be able to see for players as far as falling, and then also a, a realistic cost. And the cost, I think, John, to go up and get Kyle Pitts no matter what the cost is, it probably would be at least looking at somewhere between two first-round picks and a high and a, a second maybe this year, or having to give up potentially three first-round picks to jump up to number four where you're essentially guaranteed. I, I don't see the Cardinals being that aggressive. We still believe Steve Kime likes his picks, but I do think that there is a possibility that if they could get away with giving up a first this year, getting that second-round pick in the bag so you can kind of maybe trade back, get a few more picks, or you know hope that someone follows to you at least you had a first-round grade on. That, to me, I think is realistic. The biggest thing, at least overall with this, John, is when I say is that, hey, if Cardinals fans can accomplish this, cool. It's something that you can be excited about. There's still at least obviously some holes to Pitt's game, but I don't think this is something that you should just be able to, you know, write in and lock in as far as like, oh, this is going to happen. Because as we know with the draft, no. it's one of the most unpredictable things every year, and that's part of what makes it so fun. 
Yeah, I just I think the Cardinals are keeping their options open, and I think Kime has probably had conversations with leadership uh, for the teams in the latter half of the top ten. I think we'd be foolish not to believe that to have pre requisites requisites I should say for what those trade packages would look like with a Detroit um, perhaps with a Carolina now that they have their quarterback I, I just think that you know if you're Steve and more importantly if you're Michael Bidwell you don't know what is assured to you past 2021 and you could be starting over with both a new GM and a new head coach and so if you're looking for candidates in both departments and you suddenly are the new Houston Texans and you don't have multiple firsts and you're still finishing fourth in the NFC West, it's a tricky proposition. Um, because once upon a time when Houston made that trade, that you know egregious trade for Laramie Tunsil, by no means did they think they would be picking where they're at this year and now it belongs to the Miami Dolphins. So I, I just I would caution folks with that because of the division. All bets are off. I, I do think that the Cardinals are a strong draft away and maybe one or two more second, third tier free agent signings away from being a playoff contender. Um, I do think they're much better defensively than they were last year. I think the offense still needs help, like I mentioned in the passing game. Um, but again, they've never beaten Sean McVay. They've got to deal with, um, you know, a, a Seattle team that's always in the postseason mix, always in the playoffs, frankly. And then San Francisco, who's getting, you know, the likes of Bosa and some other players back. So I just think that it would not stop me from being aggressive because you have to consistently be aggressive in this division. Just look back in the last two calendar years, Jalen Ramsey and Jamal Adams were brought in for multiple first-round picks. I mean, that's the price. So if you're thinking, well, I'm going to add a player like Kyle Pitts who hasn't played in the NFL yet, but I'm going to have to s- surrender two ones for that or two future ones, I should say, not not including this year. So three total. I just think that that, to me, is too rich for a player that's never played it down in the NFL. Now, we've talked about on a previous pod and, and on Twitter, Blake, of the Julio Jones trade and the fact that there was only one first-round pick surrendered, future first, for the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. And that did work out in the sense they got a Hall of Fame player. And the, the Cardinals, I would imagine, view Kyle Pitts in that same realm and and by all accounts like everybody's saying that he is a a bust proof player pending injury like he's got an exceptionally high floor the NFL game is made for him today um and if you believe that that tight end hybrid player that can get you a thousand yards and double digit touchdowns is a trump card because you feel like the rest of your team is is solidified now do it but I just the Cardinals have other needs we know of their other needs we talk about the fact that they need more picks anyway now before they'd add somebody like Pitts so I listen I I put it out on Twitter I'd be all for a trade-up I'd be waving that red flag I'd be super excited about it right but at the cost of being smart down the line and we knew coming into this offseason it was it was desperation time times a hundred, right? It was the the empty calorie off season, as I referenced it a few months back. If they were to trade a first to second this year and a first to second next year, I, I think that would be an overpay. I think that would be egregious because this team still needs cheap labor to be able to supplement what's going to be a, a Kyler Murray contract extension. We assume so. Uh, again, let's wrapping up on Pitts. I think he's elite. He's a blue chipper. He would be one or two on my big board. Um, right along with Jamar Chase, um, and I would give up a future first for him. 
but where this team is at right now, I, I couldn't give up more than that. Agreed. And I, I don't think you can afford to give up picks this year. There's a, a bidding war potential. And if you're going to be going as, as this sort of all-in type of move by Steve Keim, you're hopefully addressing future needs. You know, you're saying, all right, we're going to feature Hopkins and Pitts. Now you can, you know, maybe afford to swing a bit later on a wide receiver. Um, whereas if you don't get the likes of Kyle Pitts this year, John, it, it does really feel like if the Cardinals do, you know, let's say that you decided to go after a cornerback and a running back on round one and round two, well, suddenly then there's going to be all sorts of questions, at least regarding Andy Isabella for the following year. You'll be almost locked into having to take a receiver at some point. If you're going to be looking at some comparisons, and this has been kind of a question, is does Cliff Kingsbury's scheme even feature a tight end enough? And we saw that in college with Jason Morrow, where when he does have a talented tight end, he'll feature them. The same thing happened when we saw uh, the likes of Dan Arnold. He came onto the team and suddenly was getting, you know, four targets for 75 yards against the Rams as a mismatch. Uh, overall, with Arnold, he had, I think it was 438 yards. It was only uh, 31, I believe, total catches, if I remember correctly. Yeah, 31 catches. So that's essentially, you know, like your wide receiver four or your fourth receiver uh, type of featuring and usage. Like you're still going to throw to the running back. You're still going to be involving the likes of DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk. You've got A.J. Green in the mix. So if you're going to be making this type of a move and investment, the comparisons you're looking at is, is kind of interesting, John. Uh, you see and talk about who are the best tight ends in the game today. The easiest one that stands out would be the likes of Travis Kelsey, who was a third-round pick, uh, came out of Cincinnati. Then you look at the likes of George Kittle as a fifth-rounder out of Iowa. Even the guy who is most often comped to with the likes of Kyle Pitts is the move tight end Darren Waller. He was originally a sixth-rounder. Now, he, of course, had issues with substance abuse, but came back in his the last two seasons, been about a 1,200-yard receiver the last two years. And you're looking at about 80 catches or so a season. And when you've got an athlete like the likes of Kyle Pitts, you know, it's not like saying that a guy is bust-proof, but when you see that type of production, the ability to get separation, be able to have some of that, when you're looking at how the likes of an athletic quarterback like Kyler Murray can help, it seems like in a lot of cases it would be like almost like a home run on draft day that if it pans out like how you would look at like those guys, you're like, yeah, this is great. Now, that being said, Tight ends are kind of like quarterbacks in that sometimes you don't know where you're going to find them, and a lot of first-round tight ends turn out to completely underwhelm compared to where their draft status is. I, you can even look at the Cardinals with the likes of Troy Nicholas or the I think one of the most athletic tight ends we've seen in a while, and Rob Hausler was drafted by the Cardinals in the third round, and he couldn't play dead in a Western. He just was nothing more essentially as being able to block, um, and that's something I think that would be – a concern. So when it comes to giving up, you know, uh, premium picks, you, you want to make sure that you're getting premium talent at premium positions in return. I think that you can check the box and say yes, and that does fit the likes of a Kyle Pitts, but then there ends up being a limit of how premium. And so I think that John, if, I think that you're right. If it ends up being any cost higher to get to number four, then say the future first. I think I agree with you. And I would just be more willing to sit around. Like We even ran, I think, a, uh, a mock draft scenario that I ran where the Cardinals did make that trade up in Peter Schrader's mock draft. He had the Detroit Lions at pick 16 taking Devonta Smith in the Cardinals' spot. He fell all the way to 16. Not saying that will happen, but that may be a model as far as, oh, like, there's a possibility that the Cardinals could still get, you know, either a dynamic player or, you know, have options sitting at 16 that allows them to keep that 2022 first-round pick. 
And I think in that regard, that just ended up turning out where I'd say you go for it, and if he goes, say, at pick number four to the Falcons, you're like, not that we had a lack of trying, he just wasn't available. And I think that's something that you don't have to feel like you missed out, John, because if when we talked about within the past, like with Mahomes, Watson, the Cardinals didn't have an opportunity to draft them. We felt like that they did have the opportunity to trade up and get to a spot to take one of them, and that's why I think it felt like a letdown. If a guy like Pitts goes at four, I don't think fans need to be as concerned or worried or just like, you know, feel devastated. And that's one of the things of the draft, at least, that comes in is whatever you're expecting for different players, things can turn out very, very differently. Like uh, the way that we look at that, Josh Rosen, Christian Kirk, uh, Mason Cole, and uh, Chase Edmonds draft class now is very different. The the only player who's probably going to get a second contract is that fourth round pick in Chase Edmonds. Right. And we don't even know if he's going to be a starter this year. So uh, we can get more into some of those areas, but I did want to at least be able to kind of wrap up at least John with what, is there any type of move that the Cardinals could make that you would say not be a fan of or that you don't see happening? Um, that'd be maybe similar to the pits. Cause I, I don't see them trading up for a receiver and I really don't see them making this move for a cornerback either. It doesn't seem like there's a cornerback that is necessarily going to be worth trading up two ones for, considering the fact that you look at Jalen Ramsey, they traded two ones for him, but he was a proven guy that you had for the most part that was like, let's say Patrick Peterson 2.0 is in this draft, makes a little bit more sense. He was like the highest regarded cornerback for such a long time coming out that people were like, Hey, is he going to play safety at that size? And he ran the 4-3. They're like, oh, I guess guess he can keep up. That's where I think you'd be looking at that type of a move for a corner. I don't see the Cardinals making that. Do you see any other moves that you don't see them trying to make in the draft? Yeah, I'll echo that. I think that for the first time in forever, they're in a really good place on the offensive line, specifically a tackle. So if Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater were to fall, Within striking distance, I don't think that they would make a move up for either individual. In fact, if if Slater or, God forbid, if Sewell, um, Panay Sewell fell to them, I, I could see them trading down and getting a bounty for either player. Um, so they're in a good spot there. I agree with you. There is no quintessential top-tier corner, in my opinion, um, like the kid from Ohio State last year that went to Detroit that you could surrender a, a top-five pick for. I think that it's kind of pick your best scheme fit in terms of your top tier prospect we've heard people that really like jc horn uh he is my number one corner but that's not to say he's carolina's or denver's patrick Sertain is mr steady highest floor type of player again these are not transcendent patrick peterson s type of corners that that go top five that are worthy of surrendering a future one and i just i think the cardinals view this corner class incredibly deep as i know that most everybody else does and so if you're not able to secure a certain or horn and you're a big fan of asante samuel jr who we know that they've worked out that you feel like you could get him potentially in a trade down that's an option if they want to roll the dice on caleb farley in a trade down that's an option the kid out of northwestern i know is a fast riser for a lot of people and just such a refined player at this point so it's it's very much like what is your what is your favorite preference depending on the kind of defense that you run cardinals certainly need a big physical outside corner with byron murphy and malcolm butler manning the other two roles so again i just i think that there are two there's one unicorn in this draft in the sense that that's Pitts, but i believe there are two blue chip prospects that the cardinals would be open to moving up for and giving up a future first and that's kyle pitts and jamar chase chase specifically by all accounts would have been the top receiver 
taken last year. He would have been a top 10 pick. Who knows? The Cardinals very much would have considered him at pick eight, even with DeAndre Hopkins. I firmly believe that. We saw what the NFL thought of the receiving class last year, although deep and strong on paper, I would almost compare it, Blake, to the corner class this year, is there are a lot of first-round caliber corners, but there's not that gem in the mix. People like CeeDee Lamb and Judy and then Henry Ruggs went first overall and then Justin Jefferson outperformed all of them. And I compare that to the corner class this year. Jamar Chase is in a category in and of itself, and I just think he and Pitts, to me, are the only two players I think that they would want to trade up for um, and and sacrifice a future one. I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but uh, there's I think Kimes in a position right now where – I think he'll like his, certain options available at 16. If it, you know, if a Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle were to fall, oh, yeah. uh, maybe a certain linebacker from Penn State and Micah Parsons, that's good value. That's value for Kime, worthy of standing pat at 16. If a Horn or Sertain, one of those two fall, you stand pat. I think this is just much more. The pitch talk to me is just kind of like a break glass in case of emergency if he falls out of the top five and you can have a dialogue with teams in the latter half of the top ten. In my opinion, I I am still very confident that Kimes' ideal choice is to move back, not considerably, Blake, but to go from 16 to, say, 18, 19, 20. If a quarterback were to fall, if a Mac Jones doesn't go to San Francisco, that's all hoopla, or maybe Trey Lance isn't what we thought he was, Chicago, Washington, two teams that need quarterbacks, maybe come up to 16, right? Um, I, I just think that that's and you secure an additional third. I think that's Kime's ideal place to be. Then you're talking about maybe securing one of the second-tier corners like we mentioned. Maybe they love an edge rusher at that point. Maybe you pull the trigger on a running back. I just I feel like that's Kime's preference. If you can go for the gold, so to speak, and get a pits or a chase, ideally, yes, you do that, and you go for broke this year. But nobody else is even worthy of that. And they just they don't have the capital in the middle rounds this year. And I, they, sure. I don't think they want to sacrifice it next year for a second-tier prospect this year. And I would consider everybody else, in terms of the positional needs that they have, second-tier. The Cardinals aren't going to be in the market, I would assume, I could be wrong, for a tackle in the first round. They're not going to be in the market clearly for a quarterback, right? So it's like the Horns, the Sertains, you know, those kind of guys, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddles, Micah Parsons, those are great players that I think the Cardinals would have a ton of interest in at pick 16. But they're not trading up for those players, Blake. No, I would agree. I, I think the Cardinals do like Horn. I think they like Sertan. But, I, again, the expectation, I think, is that those guys are probably not going to be there due to the fact that you look at all of the team needs. There's a, a, a gauntlet between picks 9 and even 15 with the New England Patriots should they uh, stick with Cam Newton at quarterback that could all take a corner. And as a result, I think that it's pretty easy to say if, you know, if one of the Bama kids fell, if one of the corners fell, then I think that would be an easy spot for Arizona. If that's not the expectation, and I think this is kind of just the, you know, just going through at least just running a quick mock draft through the uh, the draft network on their mock draft machine, you know, they have all of those guys essentially with Pitts, Chase, Sertan, and Horn, and Waddle, and Smith all off the board by pick 12. Now, we've got some other mocks that think things may go differently. Perhaps there would be one of those guys um, who would be there. Maybe the Cardinals that have interest in another type of player. We know that uh, we 
I've heard at least that they're not as in on the Miami edge rushers. I think the part of the thing, John, is I feel like that the Pitts thing would be plan A if it turns out, and if not, then you just kind of move to the likes of plan B or plan C, and uh, the first round in this spot, for the most part, John, I think is plan A would probably be, hey, can we move up and get him? You know, The Cardinals one of the few teams, don't get me wrong, that can be aggressive because it's like, you know, what do you have to lose? If you don't make the playoffs this year, everyone's job may be up on the board because of the way that they ended last season and just to be able to compete in an NFC West that is um, just a complete slugfest right now. Let's go and shift a little bit kind of before we talk about with round two and three and just go over some of the expectations, at least for the Cardinals. I went over a lot, at least, of going over national articles or seeing what was going on with um, – how people had graded free agency. There were very few people who thought the Cardinals were big winners in free agency. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of the players they signed, like J.J. Watt, A.J. Green, even Rodney Hudson, were all 32 years old. Uh, I also then took the time to be able to conduct a poll just to be able to see what kind of is the expectation that Cardinals fans, or at least my followers, would have for them next season. And it was kind of predictable. Cardinals fans were expecting, so this is like what you think they're going to be and kind of what they felt was acceptable. Between 10 to 12 wins next year, you get an additional 17th game. Um, so, you know, looking at a 12-win team, maybe now that's what a 13-win team looks like. So they're looking at not necessarily a 13-4 and division winner type of season. They were looking much more at like what we kind of call playoff worthy. Now, then the question was, all right, let's say the Cardinals improve from last year, get 9 or 10 wins, but do not make the playoffs then what do you think they should do? Should they, you know, clean house, move on from the GM, move on from Cliff, move on from everybody? And the majority of fans said that if they don't get to the playoffs, they would want to move on from the head coach and from the GM, which I thought was interesting, John, because you and I have kind of wondered exactly what the expectations are for the Cardinals since we had assumed at one point last year that they were going to be bound as a playoff team. They then went 2-6 and six down the stretch finished at eight and eight and I think a lot of Cardinals fans I think some of this can be attributed to what I would call at least the the cliff factor the fact that it seems like cliff has been on the hot seat because of the situation he came from pretty much as soon as he took on the Arizona job like you were gonna not have anyone who was gonna be like this is awesome this is great so even the fact that he's improved Arizona from three to five to eight wins that their offenses look better there's still been you know questions that have popped up about his results as a coach and how far he can take Arizona. As for Kime, a lot of people, I think, who were more of the draft picks just look at Kime's lack of success that they've seen in overall draft picks and some of the busts that have popped up and just have not seen as much of an influx of younger talent. I think that maybe you can say some of that turns the corner, but it'd have to start at 2019, and as recency bias would say, you're going to be remembering and talking about the Robert Kimdichis or how Hassan Reddick was you know, playing inside linebacker for years, or even going all the way back to Jonathan Cooper and the fact that he was essentially this all pro hall of fame level guard is what people are talking about and cardinals essentially saw him get injured never really live up to the billing that was there so what do you think as far as with expectations for cardinals fans we should have that are realistic because it's still hard for me to be able to see the cardinals just they end up going and having a nine win season just dumping everyone for the most part and trying to move on but it does kind of feel like at some point you have to at least draw the line in your expectations of what's going to be a winning franchise for this team while they had enough talent to be able to make the playoffs on Kyler Murray's rookie deal. Yeah, this is the time to strike. This is when teams not only win, but they win big. They get to the postseason. You look at Baltimore, Kansas City. 
I think everybody would agree that Justin Herbert, the Chargers are, are due for a big jump this year. The Cardinals are just uh, a prisoner of, I think, sometimes their own incompetence when it comes to uh, assessing draft picks and putting them in a position to succeed. And then to to uh, they're not at fault for this, but it's the reality is they've got the the fourth best head coach in a division that's stacked more so than than any that I can recall in in recent NFL history. And that's not going to change. And that won't change even after you fire Cliff Kingsbury. I, I don't know who the Cardinals could bring in uh, because we get asked this consistently, like, who are they targeting? Are they going to get the guy from Buffalo? Are they going to get the guy from uh, Kansas City? We don't know how good of coaches those guys will be. They've never been head coaches before. I think if you ever were to pivot off Cliff Kingsbury, they'd probably want somebody with experience, experience of being a head coach at the NFL level. But if somebody's worthy of pursuing, that guy's probably already employed by another franchise. So I just think that, you know, as much as I was frustrated with Cliff at the end of the season, I just, you got to see how this plays out this year. You got to have realistic expectations. Like you mentioned, Blake, you got to hope that Kyler continues to ascend and makes that year three jump that the additions in the off season, the, specifically from a leadership standpoint with a Rodney Hudson and a J.J. Watt pay the dividends on and off the field because that's where the team faltered in the second half. They didn't have guys to hold them accountable. But at the same time, the best players typically win. And so they have to get out of their own way and you know stay healthy for 17 games now. That's going to be a struggle. They get Cleveland in Week 17. Uh, do I think they're a playoff team today? I don't. I think that they need to add another corner. I think they need to have a draft class that produces – I've I've written an article recently, as have you, pertaining to why they haven't had successful picks in the first round and the expectations that they have and they don't have come the season. And I just think that they have not done a good job putting developmental plans in place for the first-round picks. Isaiah Simmons, that was butchered last year. He should have been starting and playing through his rookie mistakes since week one, and he averaged, I think, like under 30 snaps per game as the eighth overall pick behind two inside linebackers that had never negative grades or subpar grades be a pro football focus and Devondre Campbell and Jordan Hicks. That just, that can't happen. Sure. Right. Sure. And so whomever they take in the first round this year at pick 16 and subsequently at pick 49, if they stay there need to be contributors this year, that doesn't mean they have to be starters for 16 games, but the Cardinals are not good enough. We know this. They're not in the playoffs. They're not winning. They're not the green Bay Packers or the Pittsburgh Steelers or historically the Patriots or the Seahawks. They're not in a position to sit their first-rounders. And that, to me, speaks to the incompetence and sometimes the arrogance that they have. Well, we can sign a street-free agent that's a savvy veteran, and they'll outperform our draft pick. And it's just like, guys, you're picking high because you lost games last year. This is the NFL trying to reward you for your for your losses a season ago, take that reward and and have a plan in place. Have a plan in place for Hassan Reddick being the 13th overall pick instead of trying to shoehorn him in out of position, and then he's backing up Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones. Have a plan in place for Hassan Reddick. Have a plan in place for Josh Rosen. They just they have fumbled away, I think, so many prime opportunities to hit on star players in the first round. And look at the two that they have that have just been universally uh, viewed as successes. They took Patrick Peterson. He started since day one. They let him work through his rookie you know, mistakes in 2011. He was not great that year. Phenomenal return man. The next year he had seven interceptions. Or seven, yeah, seven interceptions. Kyler Murray was the guy, the starter day one, pro bowler by year two. I mean, it just... 
it's funny, like this team is trying to build long-term success and stability, yet they, they don't let their draft picks grow and develop on the field, and you have to do that. Now, for every Kyler Murray and Patrick Peterson, there's a DJ Humphreys that takes time and refinement, but the Cardinals can't be seen um, success from the second contract they give out on blind faith. Those second contracts have to be earned. Hassan Reddick should have been performing cheap labor pass rushing for five years for the Cardinals before if they let him go fine, but they got one year out of five in terms of quality pass rushing ability from the 13th overall pick. That's not good enough. We need to see Isaiah Simmons play 90% of the snaps this year on defense. He should theoretically be calling the defense. So I just think I'm so numb to like who are they going to take, what position are they going to go with, what player, what school, and more so like they have needs, try to fill one, and get a player that's going to come in and produce right away, and you have a clear developmental plan for them, and they understand their role. I mean, Isaiah probably Simmons was probably blindsided by the fact that this team called me a unicorn. They said he, I was transcendent. They loved me coming out. You know, Kingsbury's talking about, you know, I'm, I'm good with him at pick eight in February during the combine, and he's not playing the first half of the year. He's barely playing. So it just... That to me, it speaks to it speaks to why they have not been a successful franchise. And to me, the biggest thing to turn that around is they have to start hitting on picks in the draft. Agreed, especially since you what we've talked about is you have the Kyler Murray contract that allows you to make trades for a proven player like DeAndre Hopkins and extend him that can sign JJ Watt at fifteen to sixteen million a year and then kind of you know push money back into year three. Um, well, making a trade then of a pick for the likes of a Rodney Hudson to protect him. These are all things, at least, that if the Cardinals aren't able to start showing and demonstrating that they can also bring in uh, young talent, then you're going to be saying, well, what's are you going to turn into this you know, Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson type of situation where quarterback just gets signed to a big money deal and then just watches as all of the talent is depleted from him and maybe he gets back one or two things. Seattle at least has done a solid job in being able to find weapons for him with Metcalf and with Tyler Lockett, but they've, you know, had tons and tons of busts in the first round, taking a third round running back in the first, taking, you know, an edge rusher that ended up just being a terrible, uh, terrible pick for them for the most part, at least that forced them to go out and uh, sign another guy, even trading two first round picks for safety and Jamal Adams, who didn't turn out the way that they liked. They still had that consistency because they had a quarterback, but it has turned into uh, a lot of unknowns for whether Russell's going to be there next year. And uh, Deshaun obviously was clearly on his way out of Houston before all of this stuff broke down, which uh, just a quick comment on that. It's probably going to be something, John, we look back on as one of the biggest NFL stories without commenting or getting into too much stuff. It's just one of those places, at least, where it feels like it's best to almost look at Deshaun Watson and his legal situation, um, all of the victims that have gone on there, just like, all right, put it all out of sight, out of mind. Um, there's questions I think that people are having is if he's ever going to play again, and I think that those are fair questions, but for now it's one of those spots at least where you just kind of put everything to the side at least for the most part and just have to move on and have life without it. If the Cardinals had a similar situation, I think that we all talked about with Daryl Washington where we saw the Cardinals essentially even kind of kept it past the situation. Obviously it didn't get as far as this has gone with Watson, but there's at least cases where sometimes you just have to be able to Uh, not necessarily be the bigger man but you have to show what you're committed to um, not just in the community but um, as to the people that you work with I think that's one of those cases at least where it's like it's a sad situation and uh, I think that's probably the last thing we end up having to really speak of it for the most part but um, to finish up what you had said at least 
I think that you what we should see the Cardinals do is take this season, use it to evaluate the likes of Cliff Kingsbury, evaluate if giving more authority and say to the likes of their offensive line coach means that he may, you know, be sustained around through thick and thin. Even if Kingsbury ends up, you know, let's say Kingsbury butchers two close games based on some really bad situational calls, maybe that ends up being one of the cases where you look at the offensive line coach to bring him around. They should still also look at what Steve Kime has put together as far as with the roster and specifically with some of the young talent because you need to see that young talent developing. And if you don't see it develop, then it's going to turn into kind of a question of, gosh, are the Cardinals being held back by where they're at at the GM spot? And I do think at least that Cliff's job is much less stable than Steve's, if you had to look at it. And I, I don't know if, how much you might agree with that, since Steve was the one who picked Cliff. <laughs> there may be some who tie them both together, but I could at least see Steve and Michael having kind of their picture and running the franchise one way. And they're like, all right, well, if Cliff keeps you know, costing some of these different games. Let's go and see if we can find a coach that we want to bring in that can show some of that development. And maybe there is that level of confidence and trust. Um, that's something, at least obviously, that we've seen also with Michael is that usually it's hard to be able to move on from guys if things are passable. Like, it's easy to move on from Steve Wilkes after a 3-13 and terrible season. It's a lot, it was a lot harder for them to move on from Ken Wisenhunt after the 2010 and the 8-8-2011 when they had acquired the likes of Kevin Cobb and at least still had some optimism. And then the bottom fell out, obviously, in 2012. Uh, let's look on at least to the next setup, which would be the Cardinals have, uh, obviously, a second-round pick. They've traded away their third and fourth-round picks, and they have... Uh, fifth round pick at, I believe it's like pick 160, if I remember correctly. And uh, John, you and I have talked about how top 120 boards are what the Cardinals do. And uh, let's talk a little bit, at least as we wrap up today, what do we look at as far as with the second round? Let's let's go and kind of operate under this notion. Like looking at some of the draft, let's say that they either land some type of a offensive playmaker for Kyler Murray, or let's say that they at least are able to land, you know, a defensive corner of some sort, and whether it's trade or moving around, however that works out. Let's at least say that if they take an offensive guy, clearly that opened up the room for a corner, if they end up uh, taking a cornerback in the first round, I don't think they would obviously take one in the second, but what would be some options that you would look at, John? Because this, this team still has a few holes overall at tight end. They still have a hole, obviously, that you could argue at running back. Um, you know, you and I have talked a little bit, at least there's some reports that James Conner is potentially a guy the Cardinals would look at. I think that that may be much, much more likely than anything else, especially since James Conner's uh, running backs coach James Saxon was the Pittsburgh Steelers running backs coach at one point. I don't want to say that that's like a locked and loaded. Some team could always come in, but I would feel pretty confident that the Cardinals would be able to bring in James Conner either shortly after or just before the draft to right. kind of have a little bit more space and more flexibility so you don't go into the draft with just the 5'9", 200-pound Chase Edmonds as your only back. Um, you at least would have some sort of plan. What would you look at as far as where should the Cardinals be looking? And even who are some of the players going to be there? Because when you run a lot of these different mock drafts, John, I almost feel like I would, in some cases, you feel like a, a talent falls. And you're like, oh, perfect. Like, hey, there's a second, there's a mock draft there that I see at least where Asante Samuel Jr. is, you know, like sitting right there. And Cardinals could simply take him at 49. And like, oh, cool. This is guy who's got a dad who's been in the NFL. He's a little bit on the smaller side. But you could at least be able to pull him in. Some people are looking and wondering if the Cardinals are going to have to take a running back. And uh, there's others, at least, I think, who are looking at that second round. And there's the, like, feels like most of all of the talent is gone by that point. I think that's kind of how you feel a little bit sometimes running some mock drafts about pick number 16 as well. 
Yeah, I think if depending on if they can't secure a receiver in the first round, they go corner, maybe they go linebacker, something out of left field. I think somebody like Terrence, uh, Terrence Marshall Jr. from LSU, I think would be a nice addition, big-bodied receiver who could play the outside um, as an option on 49. Uh, I, you know, could they look at interior offensive line? Could you maybe think about like a Landon, Landon Dick? Dickerson um, at pick 49 if the value's right you could sub him in at right guard and, and continue your really strong offensive line development plan that you have for for a lot of these players um, you know Asante Samuel Jr. has been associated with well he's going to be an early second guy and usually when that happens those guys end up sneaking into the first round um, again dad played in the NFL just like J.C. Horn's father that usually gives you an uptick on somebody like Caleb Farley who was tremendous two years ago, hasn't played football, has the bad back. I think he's an option. Uh, you could look at the same way that Sidney Jones fell to Philadelphia once upon a time. That has Caleb Farley, to me, written all over it. Uh, again, it's like all these second-tier corners, Greg Newsom, some of these players that you think could be first-rounders that inexplicably fall to the second round. You know, the Campbell, the kid out of Georgia, depending on if they can see him playing outside. You know, I, I like Wyatt Davis. You know, Nick Bolton's an option. Uh, Jabril Cox. I mean, these are these are players that just they have high floors. You know, Tony, the kid from Florida, Kadarius Tony, is in my opinion is a first round pick. But by all accounts, a lot of people see him as an early second. Could they feel like he could be around at forty nine? PFF just did a mock where they had him go into the Cardinals. The Cardinals clearly have some interest. So again, it just kind of depends on what they feel. Now, if they had Kyle Pitts in the first round, all bets are off, especially depending on what they give up. But I just think that if you're looking at what positions they're targeting in terms of just like positional value, I I just think it's receiver, corner, and then um, uh, on the defensive side, could they add another pass rusher when you've got Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones both getting up there in age? Jones is on the last year of his deal. So to me, I, oh, and additionally, running back. Could, could a running back fall to them of their value? Could Javante, the kid from USC, uh, UNC, I should say, fall to 49? Um, do they like some of these like second-tier uh, running backs? But if that's the case, I just think that you're going to have to get an additional third-round pick. And I think that that's why Ky- that's the sweet spot for Steve is the third and the fourth round. He got David Johnson in the third, Chase Edmonds in the fourth. Um, now, it's not to say he couldn't take one at 49, but I just think that, to me, outside of the big three, uh, Javante, Travis Etienne, and, of course, Najee, there's nobody else, in my opinion, that he's, he's struggled a bit in the third round as of late, too, John. The, the biggest thing I think back, at least, is you talk about Brandon Williams, you talk about um, Chad Williams, neither of those panned out. And even Snell, we've gotten three years of, uh, you know, two years only of play, and they already had to essentially give up a third round pick after spending a third round pick to move on from Mason Cole, who we talked about was already going to likely move to guard, even if the Cardinals hadn't been able to find an upgrade, he probably was not going to return as their starting center. So that then brings up, and I, I kind of want to say is, I know you don't have as much time, but I did want to at least go and have a little bit of some um, uh, wrap up at least with just, I don't think you can rule out some of the positions that the Cardinals have in round two, depending on what the talent is like, such as offensive tackle or linebacker even, because 
as we talked about, they probably need another linebacker in addition to um, who they have. Campbell, at least, is getting paid even though he's not on the team currently this year. Adding a second linebacker that could then, hey, you know, he's a talent that's there, but he doesn't have to play right away like how a first-rounder normally should. Those may be different options for the Cardinals, and perhaps if they trade back from 16, get that extra third-round pick, John, maybe then they're starting to say, cool, now we can go and get the running back that we want in the first round and then address some of these other needs in later picks. And those are all, I think, parts of just seeing how the chips will fall. I think we'll have hopefully a little bit more insight into what the Cardinals' plans are. But what are some of the other favorite prospects as we kind of wrap up in the last minute or two, at least, of this today? Uh, either prospects you've heard the Cardinals have met with or have interest in or just ones that you like a lot in this draft that you would love the Cardinals to be able to look at. I think just from, you know, a positional value. I know that I've I've grown more open to taking Micah Parsons at 16 and pairing him with Isaiah Simmons and what that means for Jordan Hicks in 2021. I don't know, but I just I'm envisioning a Bowman Willis type inside linebacker core, which is what I think they'd be targeting for the next 10 years, is something that is intriguing to me. I will admit to that, and I also want to admit that you know. The Cardinals, the receiver hit rate in the first round is is sub-30% historically, and that's concerning. And then you look at all the quality receivers that have been taken after the first round. I, I think the, the closer we get to the draft, I'm not sure Waddle and Devontae Smith are locked top 10 picks. And so I would not be surprised if one or both was available for the Cardinals. I think that there is a disconnect between NFL Twitter and league insiders and league decision makers because of the fact that, you know, D.K. Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, you know, Scary Terry out of Washington, these guys were all mid-round picks, some of the best receivers in football. You know, Hopkins was an early 20s pick. I think we can identify a, a, a unicorn, a supreme blue chipper like Jamar Chase. Nobody views Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith in that category. Devontae Smith didn't run a 40 because there's concern about his speed, his straight-line speed. Jalen Waddell had injury concerns. He's never had 1,000 yards at the collegiate level. So I just just keep an eye on that because we could be sitting here on draft night and just like, hey, it's pick 15, pick 14, and both of them are still available. Why is that? Well, I think there's a disconnect. I love and would take either. I think either would be a great fit for Arizona, but there's only one – blue chip receiver and it's Jamar Chase. Yeah, as far as for some of the guys we know the Cardinals at least have met with, um, Greg Newsom is one of the guys who I think would be one of my guys as far as I don't think he's going to get a lot of interceptions, but I do think that he'll be able to make plays on the ball. He fits the Cardinals mold of these bigger, longer corners who started for a while. Um, if, if they were going to go down some of the other different routes, obviously they're going to need to figure out their tight end situation. Um, a guy like Tommy Tremble, maybe if you trade back and get a late third-round pick, I think that would be at least good for the most part. Uh, let me get through one or two more names. John's going to head out at least for the most part with you guys. John, where can the listeners find you and some of your content? Yeah, I'm just at Johnny Venerable on Twitter and then, of course, here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast and then uh, revengeofthebirds.com. Uh, I got to dip out. We got some sick kids at home, but uh, I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks again. See you guys. Yeah, and let me go through this. So these are some of the names that we know the Cardinals at least have met with or have interest with. Uh, we were talking about with Greg Newsom, Tevin Jenkins is a guy who uh, I don't know if he's a guy you take directly at 16, but I don't think he's there if the Cardinals trade back. He's probably the third-rated tackle, I would think, on their board would make a lot of sense. 
Um, he seems like he's kind of your plug-and-play right tackle mauler. Uh, if Jeff Jones is your smoother type, then Tevin Jenkins would be the opposite. I think that one's a bit of a stretch because if DJ Humphreys is potentially, I think, has a third year in his deal and you signed a two-year deal uh, for a Kelvin Beecham, I think it's very difficult for me to see them sitting uh likes of Josh Jones and him for a couple of years. Um, Anthony Schwartz is a guy who I think is uh, another substitute. Elijah Moore is one that was mocked to the Cardinals even as early as 16. I think that he's a bit more of a slot guy than Waddle. The biggest difference between him and Waddle is that while both have been producing for the most part, Waddle is a very different type of guy on film where um, Moore's speed is something that can erase angles, whereas Waddle, as far as his change of direction, it's very Kyler Murray-esque in that it can just kind of erase defenders in general, like where guys just don't seem to touch him um, when he can get into space. Alabama, of course, used him on a lot of screens and swings to try to get him into space, and teams it seemed like a lot of times he was running into guys. Um, was a dynamic punt and kick returner. I think that some of those cases you're not looking for that as much in the NFL level, the NFL's taken some of that importance out of the kick, but it's still good to see. Um, some other guys that I think you could look at, at least, Zayvon Collins is someone they've met with at a linebacker. He's a uh, freaky athlete from Tulsa, but really I think that he's not a guy I would see the Cardinals considering. He seems like he's a potential late first fallback option. It's just hard for me to see them taking a linebacker two years in a row. Even for the best talent on the field, you're going to be passing up probably a bigger need somewhere else. And that's where I think it's it's not necessarily fans always talk about talent or fit. Uh, I should say so, talent or value. Like, oh, man, like, you know, we, they may have three linebackers, but this linebacker is, like, uh, is amazing. Why, how did he fall there? You still have to be able to find some aspect of needs. And I think that's why I talk about best fit available. You know, there's times you'll see a pass rusher who falls who's a 4-3 defensive end pass rusher. He's not going to be a guy that you take. That's where you try to find some of those different guys who fit. Now, as far as some of my guys, I agree with John. Um, Smith and Waddle, I think, would be home runs if they did fall and you're able to take them at 16, in part because neither of them are expected to be the number one guy from the get-go since you have the likes of DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, both of them, at least, are guys who can consistently win with their route running, can get separation. Although both of them have had some issues as far as getting off of press coverage, um, as far as with their releases, some of that may be due to a bit of a smaller size. But when you're talking about with how Kyler Murray works in the deep arm, I don't have as many concerns about each of those guys. Uh, as far as when I'm looking at some of the other different players, I'm also a guy who likes Pitts a whole lot, especially I think he'd work well with Kyler and in the scheme um, but really, when you're looking at it, the player, at least that I've said that I would probably take, and this has been some controversial talk over it, some people have questioned, is Rashad Bateman a first-round guy or not? And he measured in a little smaller than expected. He was six foot 190, which kind of, when you're looking at some cases, a lot of people expected more. But that does profile very similarly to another wide receiver in the draft who has a similar type of ability to get separation right off of the line. Like uh, He's uh, able to... He just has phenomenal releases, is able to get open, and has phenomenal hands as well, being able to make it, whether it's circus-level catches or just be reliable, whether it's with the deep ball or over the middle. Uh, that would be with Rashad Bateman, and Stefan Diggs is kind of the closest comp. Now, obviously, that's kind of a best-case scenario comp. I've also heard... Um, you know, a Marquise Lee or like a um, uh, Robert Woods, maybe kind of the middle area for him as well. And uh, I think if that's the case, you're talking about a guy who maybe the future could be a number one, but for at least in the intermediate, could probably be a reliable number two. And with that ability to get release and get a release from the line, 
I think that would be one of those spots where, hey, if he's the guy that you'd take at 16 between him or Newsom, I would be fine if not every team is going to be able to obviously trade back in the first round. So those are two of the guys that I've been kind of locked on, is intrigued in. Um, but again, like John said, I do think there's a chance one of those receivers could fall, especially if this turns into a you know team scramble up and get some of the pass rushers and edge or the likes of Pitts and the quarterbacks, knowing that this is also a relatively deep wide receiver draft. And you can probably find a guy who's like Jamar Chase and his teammate Terrence Marshall, maybe at the end of the first round, beginning of the second. Uh, you could probably find a guy who's similar to Jalen Waddle in the likes of Elijah Moore, or if you want a deep threat, an Anthony Schwartz maybe around after that. So when we put a little bit more together as far as for the Cardinals board, we've got a mock draft that we'll be able to at least have for you guys that'll be coming up as well. Uh, this podcast should be going up on Monday. We've already kind of gotten the mock draft um, pulled set up, and John had kind of a, a surprising take, so be on the lookout for that. I think we should be able to tweet that out on Saturday, rotating picks back and forth. Um, so you can stay tuned for that. We'll get that posted on to revengeofthebirds.com as well. Thank you guys again so much for joining us. Uh, I know we weren't able to uh, finish with John today. Sometimes things pop up, at least in life, but make sure that you are following him at Johnny Venerable. And as always, I'm available at BlakeMurphy7 on Twitter or at revengeofthebirds.com. Thanks again for joining, and go Cardinals. Thank you